Hi, this is Mike Rockwitz, and you're listening to the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. Greetings, Cap fans, and welcome to episode 56 of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast. This is a special episode as we have a guest on the show. I am your host, Rick Verbonis, and as always, I am joined by the best gosh darn co-host out there, Mr. Bob Lucius. Bob? How you doing, Bob? <laughs> I'm, doing, I'm doing great. I don't know if I should be pulling out a silver cross or some silver bullets. I, I, I don't know what to do. Oh, you like, you like my, uh, my wolf howl? That was a wolf howl. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You, know, you know why I was doing a wolf howl, Bob? Oh, uh, I gotta think it has something to do with tonight's guest. It has a little something to do with tonight's guest. Um, in, in the fact that, um, yes, I was doing my uh, impersonation of Cap Wolf. Ooh. Yeah, Cap Wolf uh, was in, what was that, 1992, right? Uh, yeah. But our guest um, became, he was actually on the book, uh, but he became editor of Captain America shortly like just a couple issues after cap wolf but he actually was involved with cap wolf and he has um we'll have to ask him about that oh yeah i i, I want all the inside baseball on 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 that well bob i guess i should probably now mention uh who we're talking about so uh we're gonna have uh our guest on the show t- in this special episode it's gonna be mike rockwitz now mike was the uh editor on marvel comics in the early to mid 90s and so he was uh, on many books but um mostly he uh, he i think he the money did the most was captain america so uh we're gonna have him coming on talking about all good things uh or not in the 90s it's all about perspective rick and uh but yeah this is gonna be the this is like behind the scenes stuff i mean so you know it's gonna be interesting you know, I'm glad you mentioned it's all perspective, Bob, because I was on another Facebook group earlier this week. Now, I know you get upset when I talk about other I Facebook do. groups, I do. Bob. I do. Um, and someone asked a question. It was a comic book Facebook group, right? And, and someone asked the question, what is the best decade for comics? And then they followed up their own question in the, in the same thing, and, they, and they, they gave their own. They said 55 to 65, question mark? Huh. And I know the person is asking for opinions and, and it got a lot of responses. I, you know, I don't like how the question was asked. Mm. I mean, I, I would have said instead of what is the best, I would have said, which is your favorite? Because, you know, people can disagree all day long, but there's obviously no wrong answer if you're saying, which is your favorite. Right. So what about you, Bob? Do you have a favorite decade? Of comics? You know, I really don't, Rick. Uh, you know, I like, I like, I, I'm a stories guy, uh, as you know, because, mm-hmm. you know, we discuss this a lot in the Facebook group. There are certain story arcs that resonate deeply with me. And I can, you know, pull story arcs from, from just about any era or any decade uh, that mean a lot to me. So there's not one decade, I don't think, that, that means a lot. I mean, there's some that are, you know, sentimental. If I think about it, of course, when I was a young kid first getting into comics, I'm sentimental. 
Yeah, like what? Which what 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 sentimental decade would that be? Well, you know, I started getting into comics around what 1982. So you know, the, the 80s would be sentimental for me. But that doesn't necessarily mean looking back that it's my favorite. Mm. It just means it sort of gives me a warm, squishy feeling inside. To, you know, think about those trips down to the comic store and hanging out with my friends and you know some of the stories. I still have all those comics that I ever bought back in that that era. Just some of them aren't very good. Some of them have nothing to do with tap, but yeah. you know, they're sentimental to me. So right. it's just a different, it's a different, you know, a vibe than what I would consider my favorite. Okay. Well that, you know, I think, I think you'll probably have some people who agree with you, but I, but I think, um, I think for the most part, uh, I do think people tend to be a little sentimental. So I, I'm going to say um, when, when this person asked this question obviously there was a lot of answers right and people debating you know this decade this decade whatever um but the best answer i saw was somebody wrote whatever decade you were eight to 18 years old yeah that makes a lot of sense you know i, I thought that was like a, folks i thought that was like a drop the mic because that's it i think yeah. for for most of us that's that's true i i think we all have a sweet spot and and generally you know, there is that, the nostalgia, right. It going back right. to our youth. And, and so that time period is, is usually our favorite. So I, you know, and it certainly is for me and a lot of people I, I talk to. Um, so I bring this up because today we're talking with Mike Rockwitz, who is the editor in the, in the early to mid nineties. And I know sometimes the nineties are like a punchline when it comes to comics, right. Um, it was a darker, you know, it was a grittier time. Um, but for many, it was their sweet spot. Um, so, you know, where they were introduced or, or, or fell in love with comics. So, you know, for example, many people, uh, when they think of the character Jack Monroe, they think of the nineties character with long hair mm -hmm. and the trench coat and the sunglasses carrying around the shotgun. Yeah. Right. Right. That's their nomad. Others, they may think of the 80s, you know, the young hothead that wore Steve's blue uniform with the yellow cape and the throwing discs. Uh, others, you know, they may think of the kid Bucky that was brought back in the 70s as the, as that retconned commie smasher from the 50s. Right. Yeah. You know, and and we may even have a few of our listeners that think of the Bucky of the 50s. And still consider him the original that he was intended to be, mm -hmm. right? right. Every, everybody has their sweet spot, right? No, I, that's that, you're absolutely right, and I and I think that, that I mean that's perfectly reasonable, right? I mean that's a reasonable way to to approach comics. There's nothing wrong with it, but yeah, we do have to recognize that everybody's sweet spot is different, right? Yep. So, um, so that's gonna be fun talking with Mike uh, about the uh the early to mid 90s and his experience in in with marvel at that time and especially on captain america um so a few other things uh you know we we uh we did mention in the last few podcasts that when we get um 10 um the next 10 i should say um reviews five-star reviews on apple podcasts that um we will give away uh to three of those 10 people are going to get the what would cap do challenge coin? So um, we haven't gotten to the 10 yet. 
So there's still time. Yep. You want one of these. I'm sorry. Sorry, Rick. I'm just enthusiastic, man. I, I, I took it into Starbucks the other day and like I ordered my, my, my coffee. I, I threw that coin down on the counter <laughs> and I was like, boom. And they're like, what's that? And I'm like, this is my Captain America comic book fans podcast coin. And they're like, that's really awesome. And I'm like, check out the other side. And they're like, that's awesome. But you still have to pay. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yeah. it didn't get me a free coffee, but uh, damn, folks loved it. Oh, I bet. I bet. Especially, uh, you know, like, you know, if you go to go to places like, uh, you know, New York Comic Con was not too long ago. Right. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you whip it out there, be the envy of all your uh, you would have been, all yeah. your comic friends. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah. So listen, go go to Apple, go to the uh, uh, iTunes and uh, give us a five star review and you will be entered into this contest. Um, the other thing too, Bob, I had asked a little while back about uh, tangents. Mm-hmm. Yay or nay. And, and so far, you know, the response has been, oh, yay. Yeah, let's, let's go with the tangents. There makes it a little bit more fun, a little more interesting. So I got a, a, a message from uh, one of the... Um, one of the guys who's in our Facebook group, he sent me a, a, a private message. Um, his name is Seth. And, and actually, Seth's a friend of mine. Uh, and Seth used to be uh, someone who worked in my comic book store back in the day when I had my comic store. Right. Uh, great guy. Um, and so he sent me this message and he said, um, I, I say keep the tangents in. They make it a fun experience, and I know I sound like a broken record at this point, but it sounds like you happen in on a conversation at a comic shop. It makes the two of you feel like our friends and not our moderators. It adds something wonderful to the show, in my humble opinion. So thanks, Seth. That was that uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. We we uh, we hope um, we hope we we do. Uh, make everybody feel comfortable. Like you're, you're part of the group, right? You know, you're, you're, you're with Rick and Bob and you're, you're rapid cap. And, and hopefully, uh, you know, we, we, uh, we make it a family experience for you. Um, and by all means, we want to keep the communication going too. So there's a couple ways you can do that, right? So if you want, you can go to our anchor page, which is a link in any one of our podcasts and you can, call in a voice message and, and leave that and maybe we'll play it on the show or, you know, go to the captain America comic book fans, Facebook group, and you can always uh, post on there and, and interact with us there too. So uh, we, we love uh, wrapping cap with, with uh, our extended family and friends. Absolutely. And if you have an idea of a show, a story arc, uh, a topic, a theme, somebody, someone to interview, please, please reach out and let us know your thoughts. Absolutely. All right, Bob, should we get to, uh, should we get to our guest? Yeah, let's get to him. All right. Our next guest, Mike Rockwitz, was an editor for Marvel from 1989 to 1994. He then went on to be an editor at Wildstorm Comics from 95 to 97 but while at Marvel, he worked on over 300 issues, including long stints on Doctor Strange, Conan, Thor, Namor, uh, many others. And then he launched series such as Secret Defenders, uh, Silver Surfer Volume 3, 
Marvel Comics presents uh, many more. However, the character he spent most of his career on was none other than Captain America. And we're happy to have Mike on to share his experience working on the stories featuring our favorite Star Spangled Avenger. Mike, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. I appreciate the invite. Absolutely. Well, we're, we're glad to have you on. I, I know you're a frequent member of the Captain America Cans Facebook group. Uh, in fact, when you joined the group, you, you told me, I may not be an editor anymore, but will forever be a fan. So, so tell us, why are you such a big Cap fan? Well, I mean, ever since I was a little kid and I, I collected comic books, you know, I, I just love the costume. I love what he stood for. Captain America, um, red, white, and blue, the star. And then uh, when Jack Kirby came back to Marvel, I'm, I'm a huge Jack Kirby fan. I have Jack Kirby tattoos on me, not of Captain America, mind you, but uh, you know, Devil Dinosaur and other characters, Man Gog and Dark Side wow. and um, Calabac. But I love Jack Kirby. And when Jack Kirby would draw those covers, sometimes he'd draw them like just as a spot illustration. But when he came back and did the Mad Bomb saga, and there's that iconic, like, I don't know, it was Cap 196 or something, 193, mm-hmm. I forget the number. My memory's fading. I was like, this is the coolest thing ever. Jack is back, and he's on Captain America, and Captain America never looked better. I mean, I love the other artists and writers who worked on it, but, like, Jack, Jack Kirby coming back onto a comic book that I loved just sort of reignited that spark. And I was like, this is it. My focus was on, you know, the Night People, <laughs> Mad Bomb Saga, Mm-hmm. All that was associated with it, you know, like and Jack stint during the seventies back at Marvel was kind of like, I did mention devil dinosaur and he created machine <laughs> man. And, but he also yeah. did the eternals, you know, so there was a, mm. a hodgepodge of good and bad or stronger and weaker, as I like to say. And uh, him back on cap was just like, this is the coolest thing ever. He made him big. He made him bulky. He made him with those square fingers and lantern jaw. <laughs> and he just, he really went out there and kicked butt and uh, just loved it. And he wrote it too. You know, and, yeah. and Jack's writing can be all over the map. Like some of that fourth world stuff was like, I, I still don't understand it, even though I have some of it tattooed on my body. Um, <laughs> uh, you know, he, he just captured the character. I mean, he's a creator. I mean, with, with mm-hmm. you know, uh, in the back in the in the late 30s or early 40s with, with Simon. So what what's not to love? And even those earlier issues, like in the 30s and 40s, where he just, it wasn't Jack's style. It was his early style. It was still amazing. Right. And, uh, you know, I was just a huge fan of it. My first comic book subscription when, you know, you got them in the brown paper bag, most like they were dirty magazines or something, the way they <laughs> sent them in the mailers in your mailbox. I, I had, a, I think I had Marvel two and one mm-hmm. and Captain America. And this was after Jack had left and uh, Roger Stern and John Byrne were on it. And I was like, this is cool. Uh, I think one of the first ones I got in, in one of those wrappers was the Baron Blood cover, where it's like the holding holding the flashlight and it's really spooky. And then it was like Dragon Man in there. It just just so cool. And the way uh, John drew him, like the stories were great, the art was great. It was always engaging. He was he's a complicated character, a great origin, tons of history, like Avengers Four. Anyone, you know, like like. Mm-hmm. It, you know, brought back to life from suspended animation, just so much cool stuff associated with them that, you know, what's not to like. So mm-hmm. I was a fan that that's I'm like geeking over here, just reminiscing about <laughs> why I love the character. But, uh, you know, and once I entered the hollow halls of Marvel, I was like, wow, this this is it. You know, I, I, I've made it. 
you know, as it. a fan, right. as a fan, you know, so. Yeah. So, uh, Mike, you went to the School of Visual Arts in the mid to late 80s and then got a start with Marvel in 1989. And you were there for about five years. Let me correct you. First oh. and foremost, I did go to the School of Visual Arts, but I went to Regis High School in Manhattan on the Upper East Side. And that's when I started my my uh, storied career at Marvel in 1985, February of 1985. I was a high school intern. I was in my senior year. And it was a Jesuit Catholic high school. And the program was City as Schools. It was an executive internship program where uh, kids from public schools could get in and work at whatever job they wanted. But I was closed out because I was working, I was in a Catholic school. But other kids in my school before me had worked at Marvel. So I went to like my advisor. I was like, I want to, I want to go to Marvel. So um, someone who worked there, Mike Higgins, who later became my first boss um, as an editor, got me in. He got some pull with the coordinator, Lynn Cohen. So shout out to Lynn Cohen. I'll never, I'll never forget you. I always thank you. She was Jim Shooter's executive assistant. So in February of 85, they welcomed me in as a high school senior, tall gangly kid weighing a hundred pounds less than I do now with long red hair and buck teeth. And um, I started making Xeroxes and getting coffee for the Marvel bullpen after school. So I was there in 85. And then once that internship ended and I graduated, and then I was going to go off to college. SVA was like five blocks away from the Marvel offices anyway. Um, they offered me a job as an editorial assistant at a whopping $4 an hour oh. uh, to like continue doing what I was doing as an intern. So I was like, okay. You know, I, I, I was living at home. My folks, uh, my, my aunt who I was living with uh, wanted to move to New Jersey, but I was like, I could live on $4 an hour by myself. It was like 1985. So it's like, <laughs> so, you know, uh, and then after that ended, I went to the School of Visual Arts. I was in, in my first year studying, uh, you know, the foundation art. But I went back to Marvel when my classes were over. So I never left. It was a continuous back and forth. I was doing like the shuffle from 28th Street and Park Avenue to 23rd Street and Lexington Avenue. This was like a six or seven block, you know, round trip, you know, go to school, do my painting and illustrating and then my photography then go back to Marvel and and file fan mail. So I kept that, um, kept that going. And then uh, I had a tough decision in 86 when um, Mike Higgins, that guy got promoted to editor. And like, I was friendly with everyone in the office and he's like, "Uh, uh, Hey, you want to be my assistant? Like he had, he was a bit of a, a a wheat, a pothead, a grateful deadhead. I don't know what the level of profanity (laughs) is here. So uh, I'll keep it clean. Sky's Uh, the limit. All right. Well, yeah, I want to keep it clean for your, for your viewers, uh, you know, (laughs) out of respect. (laughs) <laughs> I'm not a potty mouth uh, on air. So um, he got me in. He hired me. And like I continued my career. Uh, I continued my schooling, but Marvel won out. And I stayed at Marvel. And I came on as an assistant editor in 86. And the first b- bunch of books was The New Universe. And if anyone has ever heard of The New Universe. You're oh, kind yeah. of ro- All right. Okay. So I worked on Starbrand, Nightmask, Kickers, Inc., and uh, Justice, also known as Javistus, because it had the V and the, uh, right. the logo. So we <laughs> had Starbrand and- was great. I mean, you were working with uh, John Romita Jr. there. Yeah, John Romita Jr., Al Williamson, and Jim Shooter, the boss of bosses. Uh, he was the editor in chief and um, six foot seven, six foot eight. Uh, here I was, six foot two, but skinny. And, you know, I was in awe. You know, like I was working at Marvel Comics as like a, an 18, 19 year old buck, buck kid, you know, and, um, they welcomed me. There was no real, not not really any hazing. 
I was enthusiastic. I, I was quasi-professional for someone who was a young teenager, you know, trying to show up on time not to get too uh, screwed up on the, on the job with the other substances that we will remain aimless. Uh, it was a bit of a party time in the 1980s, for those of you who can still remember that. Um, and uh, I just loved it. And I befriended all the editors because I was already an intern, like making copies and and just sending FedEx packages working for for Lynn. Like one of my jobs was like mailing packages to the artists. So I got to see all the artwork, any original artwork. Mm -hmm. I either copied it or put it in boxes and mailed it out. So it's a great experience. And mm -hmm. I got friendly with Ralph Macchio at the time, not the karate kid, but the editor. <laughs> right. And Ralph, uh, Ralph and I just bonded. He was super cool. He had a great sense of humor to most people. He was a bit of a, he would cut you to ribbons uh, behind your back, but that was just part of his charm. Uh, I don't know whatever happened to him, but he, he worked there forever. He yeah. worked there on the black and white magazines, like uh, Planet of the Apes. So he was there for like since 1975. So to me, he was a legend when I got there in 85. And uh, it's Ralph Macchio. And uh, he was super cool, very humble guy, never showed up to work on time. But we always, I always stayed late because it's sort of like a clubhouse. It was like a hangout. Mm. Like, what job do you want to hang out at other than working at Marvel Comics? Because it was never dull. Right. So it's not like, like they, they could have paid me three bucks an hour at that point, And I still would have stayed there. You know, it's like I, I was doing what I loved. Like, I, I was geeking out just talking about Jack Kirby uh, collecting comics. Now I was making them. I was there. And it was super cool. And uh, like, you know, the proverbial kid in the candy shop. So uh, I befriended Ralph. Ralph was editing Captain America at the time. And I think uh, Grooney had just gotten on it or it was shortly thereafter. And uh, I knew Mark, Mark Grunewald, rest in peace. Mm -hmm. um, awesome guy. He was like, uh, he was doing the Marvel Universe handbook. Right. He was doing um, Squadron Supreme. Uh, he was doing Quasar. I also edited Quasar, so shout out to Quasar um, and uh, Captain America. And then after Higgins quit, I bounced around to Terry Cavanaugh, where I worked on Marvel Comics Presents, got to know more people, worked on Excalibur, uh, Marvel Comics Presents, Speedball, The Masked Marvel with Steve Ditko and, and Roger Stern. Uh, that, was a, that was a hoot, you know, like a knockoff Spider-Man with Steve Ditko. Mm -hmm. That was awesome. We'll get the cap. Don't worry. Uh, and, then, <laughs> <laughs> and then um I went over to Howard Mackey, who had inherited the new universe. So I worked on all the new universe books. So there's only one person who could say they've done that, and that's me, right here, baby. Like that's right. that's my walk of fame. But this is about cap. So eventually I I leapfrogged over to um working on the Conan books, and then eventually I went to work with Ralph. And Ralph and I were working on Doctor Strange, uh, the Mighty Thor, the Fantastic Four, and our best hero, Captain America. And boy, was that exciting. And um, at the time, Kieran Dwyer was the penciler. Yes. Kieran Al Milgram was the anchor. Al Milgram was the anchor. And Kieran, I think, was uh, John's stepson, John Byrne's stepson, if I, if I recall. And super nice guy, super young. He's a little bit older than me, like maybe two years older than me, but everyone seemed older than me at that point. And just young, super talented, super cool, super reliable. So I worked with him and uh, Mark. I think it was like the Bloodstone Saga or Bloodstone Hunt or something. Ooh, that's a great one. I worked on that. And then uh, Ron Lim came on, I think. Mm -hmm. And then I 
then I got promoted. And uh, I always wanted to be an editor. I was like, I'm ready to be an editor. I'm ready to be an editor. Uh, you know, because uh, I've been in the assistant editor trenches. Uh, I will use that again, like it's war or something. I was in the, I was, you know, learning the trade as an assistant editor for about three and a half, four years. I was getting a little impatient. You know, as an 18, 19 year old kid, I was, I was turning 23. I, I deserve a lot more. I look back now, you know, 23 year old kids who, who want the managerial role. And I'm like, come on, kid, you, you need to grow up a little bit. You know, you need, you need some seasoning, but I'd already had like three, four years of producing books, you know, lines of books. It wasn't like I just came in off the street and was like doing, you know, touch-ups on artwork or something. I, I was there reading plots, working with artists, working with, uh, you know, inkers and letterers and colorists and getting the job done. And uh, then I worked on Cap. And um, I got promoted when I got my own line of books. I was like, yeah, what am I getting? What am I getting? Nick Fury, Agent of S.H.I.E.L.D., which was okay. I was like, yeah, right. It's okay. Cap kind of tie-in, Tales of Suspense, mm-hmm. you know, those kinds of things. Uh Doctor Strange, they gave me Doctor Strange. I was like, all right, cool. You know, it's getting better. It's getting better. Quasar, oh, oh, okay. I wasn't a big Quasar <laughs> fan. Power Pack, I was like, oh, Power Pack. <laughs> um, I was never a Power Pack fan. And I'm sorry to those fans that I ruined the book, but um, <laughs> it was on its way out. And Conan the Barbarian, which I always liked, but it was like a good starter editorial line of books. And eventually I worked on those for a couple of years and then they, they bequeathed unto me uh, Captain America, the mighty Thor and um, the Quasar I still had. And then I think there was one more, Oh, the secret defenders. I helped launch the secret defenders. Right. As you said. And uh, I always laugh because uh, when Tom said, eh, we're going to do a book, Dr. Strange team up book. I, I always make fun of Tom like that. I was like, that's great, because it was the 90s. Everyone was teaming up Wolverine. It's going to have Ghost Rider and Wolverine. I'm like, oh, really? Another another piece of crap team-up book with Wolverine? Like, I was so against that. I was so like, you know, pump up your sales by putting in an X-Men character. I'm guilty of it, of course, because I edited some of those books. But I didn't like it. I thought it was a gimmick. It wasn't saying true, the, true to the craft, in my opinion. It was a hack. So I was like, all right, I'll do it. And um, on the cover copy... In the corner, I wrote first unbelievable issue, but that was complete sarcasm because I just thought this was like the biggest steaming turd I ever I ever worked on. I, I just didn't want to do it. No one wanted to work on it. That's the thing. It was unbelievable that people read it. Yeah, and and it sold right a lot too. Well, ordered a lot. Let's let's be clear. You know, like the orders on some of these books were off the mark because it had a holographic or a tin foil, red embossed foil cover, much like Fighting Chance back there is a problem. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, let's emboss the cover and put some foil on it and um, we'll, we'll, we'll um, sell more. So, uh, you know, I got Cap. I inherited Mark, Rick Levins, Danny, Joe Rosen, and I think Bob Sharon or Paul Beckton, I don't remember, or George Russo's, whoever the colorist was. And it had just ended the Cat Wolf saga. Oh yeah, we want to we want to talk to you about that. Yeah, sure. I have some opinions on that. And then, um, and I think it was it was around Crossbones or or Cat oh. had, Cat yes. had just been fighting some. Yeah, that's my yeah. That I think four oh nine is my first official issue. Yes, four oh nine. Yep, yep. We'll get yeah, to that I, in a second. But you know, I looked at them. Yeah, go ahead. I. I Sorry, but uh, you know you're 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 getting 
you're getting to good stuff here. We have so many questions we want to ask you. Okay. Um, but I, think, I remember. <laughs> I think before you got to Cap, uh-huh. you, you were doing uh, the Adventures of Captain America miniseries. You're absolutely right. I inherited that. I don't remember who I inherited that from. Maybe, uh, maybe Howard or someone other editor or Terry. It yeah. wasn't something I started from from initial manuscript to finished book. I sort of inherited like a first issue that was in the drawer. Like, okay, Mike, you do this. Right. Uh, okay. So I was like, all right. I was working with Fabian, Kevin McGuire, mm-hmm. Joe Rubenstein, and Paul Mounts, and I think uh, Joe Rosen or someone else was maybe Tom. Tom Christopher uh, was also one of the anchors. It was Joe Rubenstein and, and Tom Christopher. But yeah, this was this came out um, in September of ninety one. And right. it was like around his 50th anniversary celebration. Right. And um, so you just, you just, you know, rolled off all the creators that were on that first book. I remember um, And because there was four issues, right? And then, yep. so we had Fabian, we had Kevin McGuire, we had uh, Joe Rubenstein and Tom Christopher. And then on number two, Terry Austin became the anchor. So those anchors left, right? Uh-huh. Then in number three, penciler kevin west was added along with kevin mcguire and then in number four mcguire is gone and steve carr joined west to finish the series so yep. many many of our listeners uh you know and because we asked them to submit some questions and, and one of them I saw uh, that yeah yep. uh, ralph warner um uh, submitted this question but uh, many of our listeners want to know what happened for <laughs> such a big changeover to the art team well, i mean was was it you let, first of all, <laughs> let, let me say to all of your listeners, thank you for caring. Thank you, Ralph Warner. Ralph Warner? Is it Ralph Warner for the question? Yes, Ralph An Warner. Ex- mm-hmm. Excellent yeah. question. I, too, as a fan, would be asking, what happened? What the heck happened here, Mike? Yeah. And uh, I'm going to give you the details. Ooh, uh, I, right, in- I, in- I inherited this with about an issue and a half in the drawer. When we say in the drawer, that means it was pretty much done and ready to go to the printer. Before digital, you'd have to bundle up the actual pages, put them with color guides or the blue lines, and send them off to a printer where they'd be separated either by camera or by hand. These were painted guides, so I would send out the blue lines. Mm-hmm. Anyone who's familiar with the artwork, they would take photographics, photographs of it with an overlay and paint it on a blue line. I'm not getting off topic here. It's all relevant. So mm-hmm. I had an issue and a half of that in the drawer. Kevin McGuire, if you're listening... You're a tremendous artist, but you could not meet a deadline to save your life. It's so disappointing. You blew it, buddy. You knew you blew it. And nothing was more disappointing to me. And I think Fabian, too, who had already had the plots written, uh, than someone who was so talented, had such dynamic artwork, simple artwork that was dynamic, great facial expressions. He was a perfect fit for this. And he just couldn't meet the deadlines. And all that lead time with having issues in the drawer, I'm doing air quotes to all of your listeners, uh, issues were in the drawer, an issue and a half was in the drawer. So what were these, 32 page books, if I'm yeah, not they mistaken? Were pre- yeah, they're prestige format, square yeah. bound. Yeah, they're yeah, a little I bigger, think they were, I think. They were, they were like 30 pages, 40 pages each. That's a lot of art to draw. That's about 150 pages altogether. I think they've assembled them into a trade paperback, but he just couldn't meet his deadlines. So there's only so much you could do once you release the first issue. So everyone's like, okay, we got to keep the momentum. It's been solicited by soliciting. It was put in a catalog to all of your readers who weren't before the digital age. It was, we'd have to get into a catalog so that people could order this. That's how it was ordered. 
who catalogs it. This is the first issue of what is it, The Adventures of Captain America or something it was called? Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I wish I remembered. But uh, and so once you solicit it, that means that people are expecting them to come out monthly. If you promise that, you have to deliver. Otherwise, you could have returns on that. So it's sort of like a contract. I don't want to get into legalese here, but it's almost like if you don't deliver, they could say, okay, you, you missed your contractual obligation. It didn't come out when it was supposed to. I lost business. I pre-ordered, put money in your pocket. I'm sitting here with empty shelves that I could have bought other material for and sold. So I'm returning these to you, even though there's like maybe a week late. So you had to, you had to deliver. And I was a new editor or a new managing editor or whatever I was being called. Get it done, Mike. Okay, Kevin, when are those pages coming? I had a call. It wasn't like I could text him, or mm-hmm. email him. I called. I'd send him FedEx letters. <laughs> I was big with that. Or I'd send faxes. Anyone remembers what a fax is? <laughs> sure. Uh, I sent fa- I was famous for my FedEx letters and faxes. And eventually I had to fire him. So I'm sorry. I didn't want to. Last thing I want to do, looking back, is have four mismatch issues uh, of something that has my name on it. But unfortunately, that's, that's business. Uh, the covers were beautiful. And sometimes you could open up the cover and like, oh, this mm. isn't Kevin McGuire. This is Steve Carr. Who, looking back, yeah, he wasn't the right fit, but it's hard to find people when you're stalling for time and no one is answering your calls. It wasn't like I could just put this on an email blast to people. I had to call people and other people were booked to mm-hmm. fill the role. Like I, I have work. And it it wasn't like there was a plethora of talent, like just waiting to like swoop in and say, okay, I could do it. I could do it. Give me 40 pages. I'll get it to you done in three weeks. It takes a long time to produce 40 pages. Mm-hmm. If you do a page a day, that's 40 days. And then you have to get it inked. That's another 40 days. And then color, that's, it's almost like a three-month cycle to do one issue of that because it's such a complicated production. Mm-hmm. So there's a production cycle. So once you lose that lead time, you are proverbially screwed. Fortunately, that's the backstory. No blame, just facts. Couldn't meet his deadlines. Um, in spite of our best efforts, mine and my assistant editor, Barry Dutter at the time, to just contact him and say, look, like, I don't want to have to fire you. I, I don't know if I was that kind about it. I was like, just get, get, get the crap done. Right. And it didn't happen. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we had the mismatch issues. And uh, I have a legacy that's been tarnished already. I was barely out <laughs> the game. And here I am apologizing <laughs> retroactively 25 years. But that's okay. Thank you for the question. Good yeah. question. Yeah. Well, it, 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 it's certainly uh, a fan favorite um, about that issue i mean uh, that story yeah um and, and so one of the things that um i mean i know it was a big challenge for you uh you know because you have these different artists you know you had different editors i mean i'm sorry you had different inkers you had different pencilers um so yeah. i'm sure it was a huge challenge for you well i had to get the job done it wasn't like that was the only thing i was editing either you know, I mm-hmm. probably had other books. I was working on the saga of the Submariner. I might have been helping out with another editor on something. So it wasn't like my only gig. And as an editor, you're responsible for getting all of your titles out m- monthly. It's not like, oh, well, this month I'm only going to do Captain America work. You know, there's expectations on you. You've earned the job. You've earned your stripes. Now Now you have to keep them. And so the pressure's on, especially as a new kid on the block who's looking to impress. I wasn't going to fail. Right. So, uh yeah, I got it done. That's all I'm going to say. 
Well, we've got another uh, sort of a related question from John Christensen, who's, who's also, he's a big fan of that series, just as it's, okay, I mean, all, all, all of us are, right? Okay. And, uh, and you might have already touched on this a little bit, but we're going to plumb a little bit, uh, plumb some depth here and see if there's any other interesting stories. He wants to know if there's anything that stood out about that series for you. Any, any other stories behind the stories you'd like to share? I, other than what I've already touched on, I mean, it was fun to work on because you did have a great story. Fabian did a great job. You did have what I thought was, although it was mismatched, a lot of good art, a lot of good experiences I had in interacting with all the artists, even the ones that didn't make their deadlines. And it was fun to work with, I think, I think it was Paul Mounts on such a, an ambitious project where it was blue line coloring. This is before digital coloring. Mm-hmm. And um, there, were, there was no margin of error. You, we sent original black line artwork out to a special shop that would shoot this onto camera and pose it onto a blue line, which is basically like what we call a blue line Xerox now where inkers practice on it. It was a blue line with an acetate overlay that had the black line. So Paul and anyone who did that kind of work, like Greg Wright or anyone else who did that kind of work, really had to know what they're doing. And they were using airbrushes. And we're using Photoshop. So they're sitting there cutting friskets and making sure their nozzles are clean and picking the right paint. And it just did a bang up job. The pages were gorgeous when they came in. I don't know how they've stood this test of time because that stuff kind of fades over, over years. So uh, the collectors, but that was the most fun. Seeing it all come together was the most fun. And it was a relief because, you know, I had to get it out. It was late. And uh, so that that's probably the most interesting thing that happened or the most fun was just the, the creative process. It wasn't your standard four color comic, you know, 32 pages with ads in it. It was a special, special kind of printing, special kind of cover with embossed covers. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you notice, they are embossed, which was still kind of newish for that time. You know, it wasn't like every book got that. So it's prestige. So I really enjoyed that experience that, that, that they entrusted me good, good, bad or indifferent. That, that the my employers at the Almighty Marvel Comics before Disney said, Mike, we trust you to do this. So, uh, one one last yeah. question I have, Mike, on Adventures of Captain America. Um, I read somewhere that it was not meant to be in the proper Marvel six one six universe. And for those, I think most of our listeners understand what that means, meaning that you know there's multiple universes, and six one six is the main Marvel universe. I read somewhere that it wasn't supposed to be, it was, it was an alternate timeline uh, origin, but now I see it's considered canon and supposed to be his actual origin. Do you know if that's the case or, or what was the original intent when this was published? You lost me at 616. You promised me you wouldn't bring <laughs> that new wave junk into this. Um, as far as I'm concerned, it was an interpretation of the canon, uh, whether it's considered canon um, you know, it, it's like those old, I, I thought of it more as like those movie reels, like in this episode of the adventures of Captain America, you know, like in the old movies mm-hmm. between you know, like a 10 minute clip, a 10 minute clip there before the actual movie started, like war films, like here we right. are on the battle lines. That's, that's how I perceived it, whether or not it was considered to overwrite any kind of uh, origin or to be considered canon, uh, I don't think so. I just think it was a nice twist on it. And it was considered that because it's standalone. And I don't think many people referenced it 
notably Mark, because Mark wrote it for as long as I worked on it, references like, okay, this is what we need to adhere to because Mark was the ultimate continuity guru. So guru was the guru. So to answer your question, no, I think it's just standalone, not to be considered canon and ask me about 616 again and I'm disconnecting. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I, I don't, like what we were just going to say, it was real for being an alt, like a, a standalone, but not like to be considered the, the origin to, to live by. Gotcha. All right, Bob. So you want to ask him about 617? <laughs> <laughs> I'm not doing it. I was, I was going to do it, but I'm not doing it now. Okay. <laughs> Hey, Mike, you, you came into Captain America series with a very established writer in, in Mark Grunewald. Right. He, he had been writing Cap for about 100 issues at this point. Mm-hmm. Plus, he was a well-regarded editor himself. That's right. Did this make your job as editor easy, or did you find it a little bit daunting working with him? Mark was probably one of the easiest people to work with, and uh, I mean that with all sincerity. As, as you said, he had such a ton of experience. He was a boss. He was my boss and a writer. So talk about uh, what we call today a conflict of interest people. But anyway, <laughs> um, you know, he was the boss and he was giving before like assistant editor school. So I was part of assistant editor school where Mark would tell us how to, and I never paid attention because I, I was a know-it-all anyway. And Mark would tell us like, this is how you do balloon placements in this very like Mark robotic voice. So when I was his editor, I was already working with him when I was working with Ralph. So we already had a rapport. So the transition for me was seamless. I wasn't intimidated if that's what I, I, did it make my job easier? Sure. Of course it did. He was well-established. He knew what he was doing when he proposed a story arc. It typically made sense. I didn't have to offer many like suggestions. Like, why did you try it this way? As an editor should, editors should not write. Editors are there to guide the professional talent. That's my, my take on what an editor should do. And uh, I, I didn't feel like I had to be heavy handed with them. Some things were kind of silly and I'm like, could, you know, could we tone this down a little? And he was always amenable to any suggestions because I was very uh, strategic in my suggestions. I didn't want to come across as a bully, you know, because pe- when, you, when you remove everyone from their titles, they're creative people. Creative people need to be nurtured too. So if, you, if someone brings in a plot or a story arc and you say, oh, this sucks, this is trash, that's not the nicest way of going about business. You know, like you say, oh, try it this way, try it that way. But Mark, I was working with him on two books at the time, Quasar and Cap, so I had Mark Overload. And I had also worked with him before that, years earlier on DP7. And I think I worked on, every, I think everyone worked on the Squadron Supreme a graphic novel. Mark was all over the place. And I would go to his... I would go to Ralph's pool and Mark would be there. I helped, I helped Mark move when he was getting divorced from his, his first wife. And like, we were friends. It was a real bond there, but I never let that friendship blur like being a pro. So uh, to answer your question, sort of made it easier, but anyone could have done my job. Let me put it to you that way. It didn't have to be me. I didn't bring anything to the table that anyone else at the time could have done better because Mark was such a professional. So it's all, it's all on Mark. So it's interesting because, you know, when you came on board, um, as you said before, it was, it was a couple of issues after the infamous cap wolf storyline. Right. (laughs) Um, and and so I guess I have a few questions about that. Right. So, okay. I'm laughing, but you know, what was the mood 
surrounding cap at the time because it, it was the 90s so was cap considered a boy scout compared to all the you know the grim and gritty characters and stories going on and can you describe the comic market in 1992 and and where cap was perceived as fitting in or, or maybe even not fitting in well that's a great question uh 1992 was a bit of a the early 90s was sort of like the shift towards image and X-Men. So there was a, there was a bit, it was a huge shift. Cap was a traditional old superhero. No, no defamation intended here. These are just facts. You know, Cap came from the 1930s, late 1930s, early 1940s. He survived the 1950s with some bizarre comics even written in. Um, He was resuscitated, you know, 1963. So he had been already been around for decades and decades and, his costume really didn't change much. You know, there was the U.S. agent and you had the red, white, and blue and he had his partners, uh, Diamondback, he had Falcon, but he was still Cap. He was still Steve Rogers and uh, still a guy who had the super soldier serum in him. Kind of bland. Not a sexy character. Wasn't edgy. So yeah, there was a perception that he was old, a little worn out. Still, still a member of the mighty Avengers, because if you looked at the Avengers written by Stern and drawn by John Buscemi and Tom Palmer, he was still there. He was on a lot of those covers with Hercules and a few of the other characters at the time. They always had a revolving membership, but he was still perceived as old. At least my perception at the time, he wasn't sexy. He wasn't hot. And um, when Mark was writing Cap Wolf, uh, not to steal your thunder, I wasn't the editor, but I was next door to Ralph's office and I saw one of the covers. I was like, Ralph, what the hell is this? You know, like, <laughs> is this it? Are you trying to get this book canceled? And I mean that I, I wasn't trying to be sarcastic because Ralph and I had a great rapport. We would make fun of everything. Nothing was sacred. So I felt completely comfortable in expressing that. I was like, I was like, this is terrible. I, I really thought it was terrible. And, um, I may have been in a minority, but to someone who loved the character, revered the character, I was like, like you got to do something different. And you know, like, I wasn't like, I'm going to fix it. You know, it wasn't my ego mm-hmm. getting in there. I was like, making him a wolf? Like, like, why are werewolves in Captain America? This is, this is like, like sort of like the voodoo comics of the 1970s. Like Cap had a pretty rough run in the 70s too. Make no mistake. Mm-hmm. There was some, like when he was in, rooming houses you know like the the gene colon issues it was like moody downtrodden you know like post-vietnam cap he was depressed and mm-hmm. at least that was believable this was just like schlock to me camp like cat wolf like some michael jackson video or something and uh and the art wasn't as good as it could be like Rick Levins, who I later removed, was like, mm. it wasn't, it just wasn't like a must have book anymore. It felt worn out. And I might be, I might be, be sacrilegious now to all the fans of Cap Wolf. I don't intend to be, but as someone who worked there, shared offices with everyone, worked with Mark and worked with Rick and Danny and all the folks on it, I was like, oh, that was a pretty low point. And People still joke with me. My good friends, like my buddy Adam Walenta, who's doing his own thing. He was an intern of mine. 
worked at Marvel with odd jobs, coloring and all that. He sent me a one of those little toys with the big heads. Yes, yeah, so Funko Pop. Fun, yeah. Funko or something. Yeah. He's like, look, Mike. He sent it to me on Facebook Messenger. He's like, look, Mike, I got this for you. And I'm like, what is that? And I zoomed in. It's Capital. I'm like, oh my god. <laughs> but you know that doesn't speak to the to the canon of the series. I think that's more of the Disney machine. Like, oh, we 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 found more stuff we could pump out. You know, like make toys out of it. No one's ever heard of that we can make collectible. Like, here's a Capital dopey toy. But that's just my opinion. But as someone who worked there, uh, I was like, this is pretty low. And it, I, I think it was like a, an issue or two later where he's he's teamed up with Kazar and in, in yes. Savage Land. And there's a mm-hmm. my my good friend Nell Yomtov, who was editing Iron Man at the time, who was we used to play softball with. It was a cover where Cap is punching this like Triceratops, mm-hmm. and there's a tooth flying. <laughs> we could not stop laughing when we saw that in like we would get preview copies of it called make readies we could not stop laughing when we saw it. he came in and he's like did you see this crap <laughs> look at the tooth and i could not stop laughing and then of course i i went into ralph because ralph had a door and i don't know if anyone's ever told you about ralph's door ralph would have he had a gray door an office door where he would put all kinds of artwork on there jim shooter heads all kinds of things that are neat put like week on it he would put he had a week stamp this really sucks it was a week stamp and sometimes he would stamp it upside down so this is very weak and he would alter headlines and stuff on newspapers and he would just it was satire but it was cutting it was like you had to go to ralph's door to see what made it and uh i i tried to put that up on ralph's door like this is just some of the worst crap I've ever seen because it was so badly drawn. The flying tooth. This is Captain America, the Sentinel of Liberty, punching a triceratops with a tooth flying. I was like, dreadful. Just dreadful. To me. Uh, one moment. Uh-oh. I, I think someone's getting out of out of their um, mylar bags here. He's getting his stuffed triceratops. Or... He's getting the tooth. <laughs> Jurassic tooth here. <laughs> Bob, did you give it away? No, no, no. no, no. no. I, I was just speculating that you have. Hello. This. There it is. There it is. <laughs> That's incredible. Cap Wolf. Well, you're a fan. So, I, this, uh, this listen, bobbling. I, I will tell you, I was not a big fan at the time. Uh, it's one of those things we, you know, kind of references jumping the shark. Mm. Um, you know, and it was like what you mentioned before, throwing the X-Men in to, to, to generate sales, right? So you have Wolverine on there you know, on the cover and, and, you know, it was a, it was a sales ploy, right? Absolutely. But, but, you know, you look back on it and it's like anything else. It was a time period of Captain America that, um, you know, you, you, you can have a little bit of, uh, nostalgia, you know, for it. And some of our listeners, now most of our <laughs> listeners are our age. Okay. Okay, good. <laughs> but, but, but some of our listeners, you know, they, they didn't start reading comics until, you know, uh, the 2000s, right? Um, or even Oof. more recently because of, you know, they got the interest for the MCU or whatever. Um, sure? But we also have a certain amount of uh, fans who, who, grew up in the nineties and, and this is their sweet spot. So this is where they have, you know, their, their favorite time period for, uh, for comics. So it's kind of interesting where that is, but, you know, you mentioned Rick Levins 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, Rick Levins was on the book when you, when you took it over. Mm-hmm. Um, and cause you were on the book, um, from 92 to 95. So he was, he was the artist. And then uh, you mentioned, um, you know, he left and, and you brought on Dave Hoover. Um, and both of them have that. And you mentioned image too, right? Image was big at the time, right? Mm-hmm. Both of them have that more, that big muscular bravado, action pack scenes, right? That, um, that seemed to, to be very reminiscent of, of what was going on in image at the time. Was yes. that the direction uh, at that time? Because image sales are huge. Was Marvel, Marvel was competing with image. Was it, was it the direction to kind of change some things to, to go more towards that look at that time? No, not a directive. I think that's just something stylistically artists adapted to because uh, they saw that that's where the money is. Uh, mm-hmm. That's where, the popularity is that's where the uh, that's where the momentum is is headed and um rick didn't leave i fired rick because uh, i gave rick a lot of a lot of chances to um and i don't say it disparagingly he's passed on he was a great guy um but like his work was just kind of rubbery and uh like not like gil kane rubbery but just kind of rubbery and uh and boring. And I wanted him to pump it up and he just didn't get it. So, uh, you know, like I wanted to make the switch. I had worked with Dave on the invaders. Dave was working on an invaders miniseries with Roy Thomas. So, you know, who's part of the invaders mm-hmm. pop quiz. Okay. Cap is in there. And, uh, I'd work with Roy on the, um, saga, the original human torch with rich buckler. So I was getting different looks of cap and like my, my opinions just changed on Rick. And I was like, I got to make a change. Cause I saw the way Dave was drawing cap in the invaders. I was like, Hey, this is kind of cool. He's like muscular. He's freaky, but he's like kind of leaping out at the page. He does good backgrounds. The women are prettier. Um, a little bit more action, but Dave like evolved too as an artist. Um, Dave, great guy. He passed away too. I was like, I, like, I, I feel like I'm the sole survivor on this run. Um, I better hold on. Uh, and Danny, Danny Bulanati's still around. So I love you, Danny. Danny's a great guy. Um, friends with him on Facebook. He was the anchor. Yes, he was. And Joe yep. Rosen's passed on the letter. And then we had Bob Sharon and Paul and a few other colors. But uh, where was I going with this? Uh, no, just, just Dave, not the style of Dave. Yeah, Hoover. Dave. Yeah. I had worked with Dave on, a, I think, an issue of Justice or something. And then he went away like he was doing his own thing. And then he showed me new samples, which were kind of image esque, but. You know, we're all looking to sell the book more. We're looking to sell more books. Like I did disparage Capwell as being pure dreck or camp. Sorry, I don't want to mess up my insults here. So I I was looking for something that might make Cap a little bit more popular. I didn't tell Dave, draw like Mark Silvestri or Jim Lee. He just did. He was doing that. So I figured, let's put him on here. Let's see what happens. Let's see if he can take Mark's scripts and jazz them up. And make them as, you know, like, what would his cap wolf have looked like, would have mm-hmm. looked like? It might have looked more dynamic. Because I'm looking at right now the cover to Cap 405. And it looks like Cap, it looks like uh, Cap has a broken rib cage and he's got a blacked out Cap Wolf face. And it's just, it's horrible. But um, <laughs> what would Dave have done? So um, I put Dave on and the rest is history. And uh, I think Dave moved it along we were looking for the next story arc like what can we do to keep this character interesting so uh 
Mark and I, like we would go on retreats, editorial retreats and kind of like talk about tie-ins and crossovers. And I was never a big fan of the crossovers like Acts of Vengeance and Star Blast and all this other, whatever ones there were, the Terminus Saga, whatever they were. Right. I just thought those were so painful to coordinate. And Mark was a continuity cop and no one seemed to get it, but fans did. So I, I just wasn't a fan of it. So like my, I would zone out. But um, we talked about, like, let's do something about that, that tears Cap apart, breaks him down as a character. He's got the super soldier serum in him for how many years now? At the time, 50 years. Like, we're talking about vaccines now lasting you know, mm-hmm. six months, you know, not to get, you know, like, oh, well, you might need a booster shot. Well, is this super soldier serum something that's so impenetrable? You know, like, where's the mortality with this character? He's already gone through a a plane crash. He's been frozen in ice. He just seems indestructible to me. So I was like, I challenged Mark, like, what can we do with him to make people see, make him more interesting to people, like expose him for what he is. He's a man who was given the super soldier serum and he's been fighting this fight and we don't have to make him a tortured soul, but let's think about his mortality and how that plays in because all too often it's just sort of like in the movies, they, they touched on that. And and I like that, where you like you fast forward and you seem like older. You know, like, mm-hmm. I, I dug that. I was like, cool. I'm not a big fan of the movies either, but that's another story. But um, they're just too loud for me. Uh, and uh, so I challenged to do that, and that's where Fighting Chance came on, mm-hmm. and um, and we just took it from there. So he he ran out some of his stories, and then we started with Fighting Chance. So when when you when you talk about fighting chance, right? Because it almost felt like, you know, this was, again, Mark had been on the book for over a hundred issues, right? He, he, you know, he had a, like a 10 year, you know, career on the book and yes, this was the last couple of years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so did Mark see his time on the series coming to an end when, when, when you guys were talking about fighting chance? I don't know. Um, we didn't, we just wanted to plot out, where it took the character not like where it took us as professionals because my career at marvel ended (laughs) midstream there with marvelution and all that so uh i didn't get to see it to the end so um i only did about what eight issues of that run or something uh of the the fighting chance series before i got laid off or maybe 10 i think you finished the fighting chance i don't know i don't i don't think so they they may have left my name on it but oh okay yeah, just out of respect to me, there may have been plots in the drawers, but you know, like I was given the old heap ho at the end of uh, December of '94, and I think this went ran out until like early '95, middle. Yeah, it was March of '95, and yeah, they, according to what I'm reading, they still have your name on it. So, uh, but well, they never but, paid me the royalties on that Marvel back uh-oh. up the Brinks truck, baby. <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. But yeah, there's um, yeah, there were some issues I, I like I didn't know what was going on because I I was told I was being downsized so it's like I sort of just checked out but you know I set it in motion and then um and then I got laid off Mike you uh you had just mentioned uh Dave Hoover working with Roy Thomas on an Invaders miniseries and I know you worked with Roy on the Medusa effect which uh came out I think in 94 I love that one shot by the way so I got I, I want to ask you two things about this one is what was it like to work with Roy 
And then second, um, you know, I, I think that, I mean, I love that one shot. And, and it also sort of applies to, say, The Adventures of Captain America, you know, the miniseries. But what are the editorial decisions that go into launching a one shot or a miniseries like that? I mean, what are the drivers behind that? I've always wondered that. I thought you were going to ask me why do we have multiple artists on, on something that's standalone? Because we have didn't didn't Rich Buckler and NC Wyman work on that? Yes, so, correct. Um, let's get back to Roy, and then I'll get on to why that's such another uh, patchwork quilt of professionals. Um, Roy is awesome. Roy is a legend, and anyone who knows me as an editor would say that. If I got a new book, the first person I would call to write it would be Roy Thomas and or John Byrne. And John Byrne always rejected me, but that's fine. Um, <laughs> but Roy was the man I would call up. So when I worked on Doctor Strange, Roy was on it already. I worked on Conan. I got rid of everyone on it, like Chuck Dixon, who still harbors resentments to me to this day, which is whatever, Chuck. Um, I put Roy on. Roy and John I uh, put on, on the black and white magazine, the color comic. He was on Dr. Strange. Roy was pitching the invaders to me. Roy, I'll push it through. Roy also wanted to do something with Captain America, the Medusa effect. We wanted to do it as a graphic novel. Okay. But it just couldn't seem to get off the ground. Like there wasn't, there was no momentum with it. it there wasn't, there didn't seem to be a time in the selling season to put it out there. It kind of got lost in the flurry of the other stuff that was being pushed out, like X-Men, Wolverine, Ghost Rider, Spirits of Vengeance, all that other really chock full of excitement stuff. That, And I mean that with all, no sarcasm at all. Uh, it's just like all, all new exciting stuff. So like who wanted to hear about Baron Zemo and Captain America, the Medusa effect, something from World War II with Adolf Hitler in it. You know, it's, so it was sort of like, an, it was like a pet project of Roy. I want to tell the story. We got Rich Buckler on it. Rich, rest in peace. Another guy who's passed on. My God, everyone I've worked with. Um, Rich, <laughs> Rich had his issues. Uh, and one of them was, he, this is an interesting story. When he was the penciler on Fantastic Four, like he did a couple of fill-in issues. He did layouts on it. Layouts are not finished pencils. They're not breakdowns. They're like layouts. So Al Milgram did the finishes on it. And there was a payment dispute where Al got paid for finishes and Rich only got paid for breakdowns or layouts or something. So Rich felt that Al owed him the money. So Rich and a few of his boys went to Al's house and demanded the money. Kind of like a shakedown. Whoa. And Al, <laughs> and Al called up Ralph and I, I was still working with Ralph at the time. This was like an 89 or something before the Medusa effect. And he's like, Rich Buckler and a couple of his goons came to my house. And we're like, what? So word got around that Rich is just bad news. Rich, like, don't work with Rich. But I was like, I got him on, like, Saga of Submariner. I can't just fire him because that would be another series where I had to hire three different artists to finish it. And I was getting a reputation already. So um, Rich got back in people's good graces. But then Rich would vanish or Rich would get another job or Rich was getting just too busy to work on it. So it sat in a drawer. And then all of a sudden they're like, well, we need you to, we want you to release this. And we're like, it's not ready to release. Well, we already solicited it. Solicited it. 
which meant we put in a catalog we want to sell. I was like, oh, great. So this thing that was like, uh, let it sit, put it in the drawer. We'll keep it as a backup is now ready to go. Great. Rich, can you work on this? No, I'm too busy. Crap. <laughs> so here I am. <clears throat> Excuse me. I needed to get another book out that languished, and I hired M.C. Wyman. Who is M.C. Wyman? Everyone's wondering, like, where did you find M.C. Wyman, Mike? I know that's a question that people don't dare ask, but M.C. Wyman was someone I found from Marvel submissions. Artists would send me Xeroxes of their work. Every day I'd get those. Manila envelopes with submissions, pencil samples, inking samples, lettering samples, coloring samples. So I would look at them. Sometimes I'd write a response. Most of the times I just took the postage and used it for my own purposes and threw the samples away because they were just so bad. And um, and that's that's a true story, people. Uh, and MC stood out. So I gave him a break. I, I put him on some like backup work and MC kind of developed. He, I had him working on Thor or soon he was working on Thor. So he was a good fill-in. He wasn't like top-notch talent. I know that. He was like a John Buscema clone. And John Buscema, at that point, as brilliant a draftsman as he was, and this is almost heresy coming out of my mouth, people thought he was boring. You know, like he wasn't Jim Lee. He wasn't Eric Larson. He wasn't Mark Silvestri. He wasn't Jim Valentino. <laughs> you know, John Buscema isn't Jim Valentino, but, you know, right. John could draw circles around all these people, and he knew it, and he was brilliant. And I love him to death, and he passed away, too. Ugh. But anyway, uh, so um, I got MC Wyman and then I had to get a couple of inkers to do it, you know, and it just, and I think that was put out once I got laid off too. So that kind of came out, uh, dare I say posthumously, post, uh, post layoff, it still had my name on it and um, it got out the door. So um, that's what happened. What decisions went into that? Roy pitched it, it got approved, it languished. That was a, a, a bridge version and uh we got the green, we got the green light, and then I was greenlit to get out of the office. So uh, it went out without me. Oh well. So all right, let's talk about that. You you were laid off of Marvel, and then you you yeah. took a year off, uh, and then you joined Correct. Wildstorm. Yes. Uh, and which was was being published by Image Comics, um, and so you were editing series like Stormwatch and Wetworks and Grifter. And others, and you were doing some coloring for them as well. Uh, yeah. So, over at Marvel, they decide to relaunch the Cap series in a second volume with the mm-hmm. Heroes Reborn, infamous mm-hmm. Jeff Loeb, Rob Liefeld series. And I say infamous because people either love it or hate it. And, mm-hmm. and you weren't the editor on Cap series at the time, you were at Wildstorm. But what right. was that like? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about, you know, you were still probably paying attention, I'm assuming, to Captain America. Sure. You knew Rob Liefeld, obviously, from Image uh, and formerly Marvel. What what was that like seeing Cap getting relaunched in, in this volume two? What was your opinion and then maybe some of your coworkers' opinion and, and maybe even Mark Rumwald's? Well, I... I took that year off. I maintained relationships with people there. I was under an editorial contract, so I got paid for a year to do nothing. I went out west to visit an old friend, Mike Heisler, who was the editor-in-chief. And uh, he hired me to be the editor over at Wildstorm with Jim Lee. So um, Jim Lee, that Jim Lee ran. And I, like you said, I was put on all those books. And Marvel was tanking. It was bad. People were getting laid off. 
the Marvolution, as they were calling it. People, they were just layoffs and, you know, like trimming of the fat. So I felt badly that, uh, you know, I was, I was happy to still be working in comics, but it wasn't Marvel. And I still maintain relationships with all the people for that year and a half. Uh, I really wanted to get back into Marvel. Like, I, my work wasn't done, but the business side said, your work is done here, Mike. We don't want you here. Cool. I, I tried to accept that. I was bitter. Absolutely. I was hurt. I was bitter and uh, angry. And I was like, well, screw them. I'm going to go work at Wildstorm. I'm going to hit them hard. I'm going to work for the competition. No one cared. This is just my ego. And um, they launched the new Captain America. And I was like, okay, so they made an image version of Captain America, whatever. You know, I thought it was weak, not because Rob or Jeff worked on it. I mean, I mean, it was Rob Liefeld. He sold millions of comics. Do I like his artwork? It had its moments. I actually colored some of his work on New Mutants. I, I colored the first appearance of Cable. That's right. Whoa. Yours truly. That's right. I, I did coloring seven, work at Marvel. Nice. Yeah, I, I did coloring work at Marvel, a ton of it too. And, um, you know, I, I was like, whatever. You know, I wish them luck. Like, I, I just, I had a day job. Like, my, I, I was making the baseball analogy before we started a, uh, before we started recording and saying like, I, I'm still in the major leagues. I'm just in a different league. I'm on the West coast version of the, uh, of the major leagues of comics. I'm not on the East coast version of it. I'm with the competition. I have a team of no stars that has a big payroll and I have to work on grifter. <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, okay, what's a grifter? What's a What's a wild cats, which is X-Men and, Gen 13, I wonder what that is, uh, New Mutants. And, and then um, it was DV8, a few others. And then I, I would go to New Comic Book Day, which was always exciting. Me and Mike would get in his, his car or I would drive. New Comic Book Day was like a ritual. We'd get new comics and we'd look at that stuff. And we're like, ooh, this is pretty bad. This is terrible. Like the Iron Man was cool. Like Will's Iron Man. Right, like, Will's Potassio, yeah. That was sexy. And uh, I think FF... I don't remember who did the FF. Uh, it was uh, Jim Lee, right? Yeah, but that was, uh, yeah, but it wasn't Wildstorm yet. Or maybe it came over later. I think maybe they just started the Iron Man and Cap first, then FF was later. Or maybe they were doing FF. I don't remember. I, I think it was, they, they launched four at the same time, right? I think they did Cap, FF, Iron Man, and I want to say Avengers. Okay. I think they did those four books as like the main four books for the Heroes gotcha. Reborn. Yeah. Gotcha. But you're and, right. Uh, Wills Potassio was on FF. I want to say Jim Lee was on. I'm sorry. Wills Potassio was on Iron Man. Jim Lee, I think, was on uh, He was FF. on FF. Yeah. yeah. You're right. You're right. I, I, my, my memory's a little hazy. But we called the Heroes Stillborn at the office because uh, <laughs> like we just thought it was like it, it was turning into an abomination of freak show. It was like give the image guys whatever they want to make the books that we should have let them do before they left like a, an act of contrition i'm heartily sorry for having offended these so come save our company i was like whatever guys it was weak if i had ralph's door i would have put it as a weak stamp but you know i i had a job to do and then lo and behold like six or seven months into this abomination and I never, I, I say abomination because no slight to Rob or Jeff, great people, talented people. Just, it just didn't work. It just looks stupid. 
he didn't look like the character. They were drawing him. Like I said before, his his costume didn't change. But wow, this wasn't a good costume change. Let me let me be perfectly clear. This sucked. And uh, anyone with a pulse knew that, except for the fanboys who who idolize Rob, be that as it may. So um, I got called into the office, like Mike's office, and uh, word on the street was that Marvel was trying to pitch the books to the all the books to the Wildstorm studio, or Iron Man and Cap and FF. And um, Mark passed away. Mark yeah. was dead. Mark passed away in 95. Uh, actually, that. yeah, he, he passed away like three months before Captain America 1 came out. Right. Yeah. So Mark had died. I had just moved out to California. I didn't come back to the funeral because I, I just had all these expenses. I had just relocated 3,000 miles. And uh, Mark passed away suddenly, tragically. And, like someone like called me and said Mark died. I'm like, what? He was like in his 40s, mm -hmm. 43 or something. And that was... I was close to Mark. I, I went to his second wedding. And like I said, we were friends. Spent a lot of time together. I edited his books. You know, like we were, we were close and it was sad. And then Mike Heisler said, or Jim, I don't remember who said, do you want to edit Cap again? And I was like, okay. You know, <laughs> uh, I, was, I was happy to be working on a Marvel comic, but Mark was gone. I wasn't home in New York City. I was 3,000 miles away. It wasn't, I wasn't working for Marvel Comics. I was like a, a broker. I was like a comic book broker, brokering work, a subcontractor for Marvel Comics. My ego was kind of being fed, but at the same time, less than a year ago, you told me I wasn't worthy to be editing this comic. Now I'm back to editing this comic. WTF, people. You know, I was angry. I got angry. I internalized it, and I said, okay, I'll do it. And they hired James Robinson. I, I be honest, I didn't know who James Robinson was. I'm, I'm a Marvel guy. I never worked with James. And then, I don't even remember who they hired as the penciler. He was like a good, good artist. If I, let me, I, I, could, I could look it up, but it doesn't matter. And Jim was drawing the covers, or someone was drawing the covers. There was something with the Serpent Society, if I don't, if I recall, or they were trying to infiltrate Washington D.C. It was kind of a cool story. It reminded me of something the Engelhart would have, uh, Steve Engelhart would have done in the '70s, but just not as good. It was kind of like retread of stories. And I was like, this sucks, man. I don't want to do this anymore, and I quit. I quit. I went. To, I went to Mike, my boss, and I said, I quit. I'm done. I don't want to do this anymore. And he's like, all right. <laughs> like, what are you, you going to say? I mean, that was a pretty big commitment. I, I'd only been out there for like a year and a half mm -hmm. in San Diego. I was a New York kid, New York guy. And uh, then Jim Lee called me the next day. So come on in. We'll, we'll give you $5,000 more and, uh, and uh, just stay on. I'm like, all right. $5,000 more a year. I wasn't making that much to begin with. So I was like, that's yeah, a pay raise. So they're basically bribing me to stay. I didn't last another month or something. I said, I can't do this. You know, like my heart was just not in it because it was cool. It was cap. It wasn't my cap, my cap. Like I owned the character. It wasn't Marvel's mm -hmm. cap. It was the subcontractor cap. It was the James Robinson cap. 
it was whoever was penciling it, who I, I don't even remember. And I just rattled off names from 30, 40 years ago, you know, and I knew every little nuance of it. And here's things that where I actually read the story that I don't remember who drew it. So I had checked out. I just, I was on autopilot and I might be a footnote in comic book history is like the one editor who edited for Marvel and Wildstorm, the character of Captain America, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> that may right. be it. I may be the one person who have done that and big deal, but still it was like, uh, it wasn't like I, I felt special. It felt like a consolation prize. And I really, I, I missed Mark. And, you know, even though I, I, 20 minutes ago, I was saying like Mark's cap and cap was perceived as an old tired character. He, he was still good. Uh, like make no mistake perceptions are one thing he was still a very solid character he's captain freaking america let's not forget that right and uh, i i still had that passion for it and then i had this uh lukewarm cap that was coming to me and i didn't have the the desire to say like this plot sucks or you need to fix this it was just like rubber stamp it no weak stamp just rubber stamp it okay send it out get it digitally colored wild storm effects it looked beautiful don't don't misunderstand me. It looked beautiful. I just did not care. I was said, I was just riding the pine, waiting for my contract to expire. <laughs> Get me out of here. And when I finally did, I packed up my stuff and I left. And then I came back to New York City. And Marvel was sort of I had been in bankruptcy or was going into bankruptcy. Mm-hmm. It was 96, 97, 98. There were some lean years there. And I was just doing like digital coloring. And even that sucked. I was like, because working on old Macs then, like Macs are like super fast now, but old Macs where you get the bomb when you're doing one Photoshop file and it took you 10 hours to save. And I was like, I was making a hundred bucks a cover as a freelancer. And I was like, this just sucks. This is not comic book making anymore for me. I was burned out. So from the kid that walked in there in 1985 to almost like 1999, 2000, I had seen it all. I had done it all as far as I'm concerned. And then by the time I said, I'm done, I really was done. You know, I, I, <laughs> I had done everything I possibly could to stay in the business, stay relevant, like I wanted Captain America to be. But I felt like my time was just like, okay, let me do something different. And that's cool. You know, and I, I do think that there is a shelf life for people in business, like in, in any job, there's a shelf life for characters if you just leave them as is, there's definitely an expiration date on all of our milk cartons. You know, that's just the, the, the nature of mm-hmm. life. And, um, and a lot of people have passed on. I, I, I don't mean it like that, but you know, uh, I, I just had had enough and um, I don't regret that decision. I, do I miss it? Sure. But you can't capture lightning in a bottle. Right. Uh, I already, I already lived it. I can't be 18 again. I can't be 17 again. I can't be walking in there and, and seeing all the people who helped build my career or help nurture me and, and uh, help shape me as a professional. They're all in different fields or gone. You're talking about, you know, the end of your comic career and, and you yep. had started earlier talking about, uh, you know, the analogy of being a manager in, in the major leagues, right? Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes you finish a fourth place, but you're still in the major leagues. Yep. What were some of the times you felt like you finished first? Well, I had a lot of those. When I was given Captain America to edit, I was on top of the world. And um, seeing my name in the, in the trade dress for the first time as editor Mike Rockwitz, proudest day. Because um, you, work, you work hard. 
as a fan, you're always like, wow, what would my name look like? Any fan who doesn't say that is lying. If you're a true fan of this, you always like superimpose like written by Robert Lucius or written by Ro Rick Verbanis. You know, like, you know, like you always imagine that. Mm -hmm. So I imagine that. And then here I am holding the printed copy. I did it. So every month that that happened, I put a lot of work into it. I was always proud to see that. So every day, every month where I got that printed book with my name on it, I felt like I was doing my best. This is all in retrospect. At the time, I was felt I was at the peak. You know, I, I was I was batting a thousand. I could there were no swings and misses. But looking back, of course, you know, we have Fighting Chance, uh, where I wasn't even finishing it. We have the Medusa effect. We have the Adventures of Captain America. You know, we have Power Pack. But you know, at the time, it's um, it's incredible. It's energizing. You know, I felt like I had the power to assemble a league of of major a team of major leaguers and i did working with roy thomas working with mark grunwald working with paul ryan on the fantastic four all these john buscema all these amazing talents and tom palmer al williamson danny bulanati uh tom defalco you know uh rich buckler everyone who i worked with is always like wow i'm working with these people this is right. super cool and the fact that i'm reminiscing it's, I'm getting emotional because it's like, I had a great opportunity and I, I made the most of it. I did not waste anything. I, I left it all there. So I felt like I, I was a winner every day that I got to swipe my key card in and answer my phone. This is Mike from Marvel. Best experience. And I still tell people to this day, this is a segue, but when I was, a, I was the assistant editor on The Silver Surfer, this was like one of my first gigs. I was working with Mike Higgins and, and Stan Lee was writing that Silver Surfer graphic novel that John Buscema was drawing and Joe Jesco did the painted cover. And that, that went, that bounced from editorial office to editorial office. It was kind of like hot potato. When is Stan going to finish the script? You know, like, when is John going to finish the pencils? It was always like a, that was one of those things that stayed in the drawers. So um, Stan, if anyone has a pulse, is like, wow, Stan Lee is the man. Stan the man Lee, who's like one of my idols. Stan Lee presents. I met Stan a few times in the office when he'd come in. He didn't know anyone who it was. So I was like, hey, it's Mike. He's like, hey, Mike, how you doing? <laughs> so uh, Mike, uh, Mike Higgins, my boss, said, uh, call Stan. And I called Stan, and I got his receptionist or his secretary. Oh, Stan's not in. We'll tell him Mike from Marvel called. Great. All right, will do. My phone rings. This is before call waiting. This is before caller ID, anything. Hello, Mike from Marvel. And Stan goes, Mark. This is Stanley. And I was like, I'm like, I'm like, no, this is Mike. That's right, Mark. This is Stanley. So I was like, you know, looking back, I was like, oh my God, he doesn't even know who I am. I'm his assistant editor. But uh, you know, I, I tell people that and they, they laugh like this because you know, like you have such expectations of, of people, your idols, and then they completely butcher it. So uh, you know, even then I still feel like a major leaguer. Cause I got to talk to Stan Lee on the regular basis on some book that he had no idea who I was. And that, that, that's a moment of pride for me that I tell to this day. And it's funny. And uh, I have so many memories like that, that I'm a hit at parties. Like, if you tell anyone <laughs> I worked at Marvel, you're like, really? And I just tell them like a few of these stories. It's like, it's like having the campfire and, and no one else has to do anything. They just listen. And, and, and I just love like, being able to tell these great stories, not from my own ego. It's just like, Hey, this is what it was like. You know, this was like what it was like making these great books that you're a fan of. 
this is some of the things that helped inspire these movies that people are watching. You know, like all those things, they, they came from somewhere and this is where they came from. And I got to work on some of this. It was the coolest thing. And I was a kid and I grew up in it. And now I'm a grown man and I can tell these stories. So it, it's like the circle of life and it, it, it's super fun. Home run. Well, you know, that's that's a, a really cool story. I love the story about Stanley. And you do a good Stanley impression. That's perfect. Yeah. It's, it's, uh, yeah, well, you got the, told, you, people can't see it. I've told the story a lot. Yeah, I've told people the story can't see, but he has the mannerisms down, too. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. 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 Stanley. Yeah, he's very yeah. emphatic. Well, yeah, it's, it, yeah, I, I, it's a shame, um, you know, as far as you, you being, uh, you know, a hit at parties, cause you know, you're, you, uh, you're such, you're so shy with your stories, uh, you know, uh, but you know, we, we've certainly enjoyed hearing, hearing these. Well, Hey, uh, my, another, uh, oh, should I say Mark? That's right. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Mark. That's right. Rob. <laughs> another listener of ours, uh, Joshua, uh, Van Dyne. He okay. was wondering what advice you might give to anybody who wants to break into the business as an editor or a writer? Oh, Josh. Um, I think it was a lot easier when I was uh, breaking in than it is now. But what I did, I, I, like I said, I broke in as an intern. So I was basically willing to sweep the carpet. I was willing to do anything, take out the trash, do people's dry cleaning. I, I ran all kinds of crazy errands. I was willing to do anything it took to break in. I started out as a kid because I had such passion for it. These days, can you do that? I don't know. But in the age of emails and spam, and <laughs> it can be perceived as, as just being a nuisance. But you know, I, I, I still believe that talent always rises to the top. And if you have a good message and a good presentation of your skill set, people will acknowledge you. And if they are professional, they will give you feedback. So the, the, the easy thing is that most people are accessible via emails and social media. There's a lot more platforms now. And I'm not suggesting you go troll everyone on Twitter and say, could you hire me? But there's a way of building a rapport with someone, much like I did by making their coffee and, and making their photocopies and sending out their packages where you, know, you just say, I'm interested in this. And they could say, like, you have no chance, but at least you tried <laughs> and that's fine. But, you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained. So there's a lot more opportunities to reach out to people. Facebook, everyone has a page. Most of them are public. You could talk to like any of your favorite artists and most of them who aren't complete D-I-C-K-S's will happily um, respond and, and give you the time of day as long as you're not difficult about it. Just mm -hmm. be, be humble and uh, and listen you don't know anything that's the one thing i have to tell people you may think you know something you don't know anything you may think you've watched a few youtube videos you may know someone who's made comics or worked with someone in comics you don't know anything just go in it like that i'm a complete blank slate but i want to know how to do what you do that's a far more humble approach to someone instead of saying like i think your inking on this issue was sort of like uh, uh bad approach or i could have written this better uh, uh bad approach like how did you come up with this conversational ways of doing things as opposed to i could do it better and here's how i'll show you uh, uh that doesn't work it would never work with me because i would see fans and i'd look at portfolios and everyone would say you know they, they'd always be thinking they're better than you when they never got a paycheck 
and I and I say that to fans today who talk disparagingly about anything that I worked on. I was like, thanks for the feedback. I appreciate your in- input, but the checks in my name always cleared with Spider-Man on them. So I did my job and I appreciate you purchasing the book that you really hated. You know, <laughs> thanks for the feedback. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it's I'm I'm happy you bought it. I'm sorry you're disappointed, but I still got paid, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the bottom, bottom line here. It's a business. This isn't meant to be hung in museums. So it's a machine approach it. Like, you know, nothing and be humble and you might get a break. I got I got to just do the checks act. Did the checks actually have Spider-Man on them? Yeah, they did back did then. Did yeah. This is before direct deposit. Yeah, of course. Right. Every, yeah. every Thursday, <laughs> every other Thursday we'd get our checks and all of us would, amble over to the bank two blocks away with our check cashing cards and all that our id and yeah we'd get paid that way it was a good time yeah and then we'd party and most of us wouldn't show up on friday but anyway yeah (laughs) those are the 80s good times good times times. so what uh what keeps you busy nowadays mike well aside from my two cats alfie and cletus i have two adult children madeline uh, maddie and sean maddie's uh Working retail, lives on her own with her giant pit bull, Cassius, my grand dog, and her cat, Momo. And my son, Sean, just started the first year of college at New York Institute of Technology. So I'm super proud of them. They've uh, grown up without ever having seen me added comics, so good for them. And uh, they only hear the tales, and they could tell their friends how cool I am, even though I don't think I am. And uh, I work in the wonderful field of educational technology. So during COVID, I felt like I was actually useful yeah. And helping deliver online uh, online materials by managing teams of people who are wonderful creators, unlike comic book creators, educators who are building uh, instructional content for all all types of programs like math, English, uh, reading comprehension, social studies, grades K through 12. So I'm pretty fortunate that I've been in that business for the past 22 years. Mm-hmm. So, wow. um, yeah, I got into that on a lark. I Mar- Marvel work was drying up and this company, the Princeton review, the test prep company. I don't know if you've heard of them. Sure, you yeah. know, mm-hmm. They were looking for someone to help build test prep booklets in quark express. Oh, I didn't know quark, gosh, express. quark express. I didn't know quark express from uh, quasar, but I, I applied for the job. I sent them samples of my comic book work. The guy hired me and I was building uh, test prep books with, questions and a b c d answer bubble sheets and i was like this is it i've gone from editing captain america to making test bubble sheets and uh (laughs) but the pay was good it was consistent and i just grew into it because then i i mentioned i I used to work at marvel and was like what you have managerial experience yeah i just and and it sort of parlayed that you know because when you're in the job market at least when i was in the job market after i got laid off from marvel and a few years after I used to edit comic books, I would say. This is my extensive resume. They're like, they'd always say like, why did you leave? Sounds like a great job. Well, I didn't leave. I was fired. <laughs> that's why I'm looking <laughs> for this job. So uh, yeah, that, that's what I've been doing. And, and I, I practice my artwork. I hang out with my friends. I help uh, work on comedy shows. I have a friend here, Greg Criticos. My cat just knocked my painting down that my daughter did. Thank you, swine cat. My... Um, <laughs> My friend, Greg Criticos, who's a, a great comedian here in Queens. Check him out. Uh, Greg Criticos Comedy. I make all of his graphics and posters and all that. I'm, I'm a designer. 
graphic designer on the side. And uh, I do that. So we, we work on comedy shows. And I just hang out with my friends whenever I can when we're not all socially distanced. Uh, I try and exercise and stay in shape whenever I can. And, uh, you know, do I read comics? No. I, I go to comic book fan pages like yours and uh, marvel at some of the stories that are still being done and or people who reminisce about things that I've worked on or things that I actually enjoyed reading as well. So, you know, I try and stay off the internet as much as possible, but it's impossible when right. uh, you're, when you're working from home on a laptop and you want to see what's going on in the world and you click on Facebook and Instagram and all these other things. And it's kind of like, um, it's like quicksand. Once you're in it, you're stuck and you wait for <laughs> someone to pull you out of it. So yeah, that's what I do. And it's good. And uh, we just had Comic-Con here in New York city just wrapped up the other day. Uh, I'm happy to say I did not attend. Uh, <laughs> not that I didn't, I had no desire to, I went a couple of years ago, but some people who I had, uh, hadn't seen in years reached out. I managed to meet up with someone yesterday. This guy, John Kalis, who was a colorist on many of the books I worked on, notably Secret Defenders. I helped break him into the business. He used to work on Batman and whatnot. Mm-hmm. And um, it's great just to reminisce like I'm doing now. Like, remember the days, remember this purse, remember this party. So uh, I do that whenever I can. And I'm hoping to do more of it now that uh, hopefully some of these restrictions are being lifted and, you know, we can do more things with our loved ones and friends. So. Uh, it sounds like you're super busy. So uh, I got to tell you, we're very, very uh, happy that you uh, were able to spend some of your time with us and, uh, and the listeners uh, get a chance to hear some of the, these great stories behind the stories. Uh, so it's been a real pleasure. So thank you for joining the show, Mike. The pleasure has been all mine. I'm honored that you asked me and I'm honored that we actually got to be able to do this. Well, okay, Bob, that was a fun wow. conversation yeah. with, uh, with Mike. Uh, he was not shy on any of his thoughts or opinions on uh, what uh, his experience was like in the early to mid nineties working for Marvel and Wildstorm. Yeah, it was refreshing. You know, I mean, it was, uh, there's a lot of detail there, a lot of context that, uh, you know, you don't, you don't get to see, you know, not to overplay the baseball metaphor, but this was a lot of, you know, a lot of inside baseball, uh, how the plays get called and, and uh, it was, you know, how the, players get traded and selected and you know it's i I really enjoyed this uh i I didn't know what to think coming in but uh, because i'm not that familiar with that period Mm -hmm. Um, but it was it was really educational informative and entertaining yeah i i agree 100 so whether you loved that time period or hated that time period uh Mike had a little bit for both of you. Yeah. Uh, he certainly had a lot of reverence for the people that he worked with. Um, and and uh, certainly, you know, some of the stories and, and the thrill of being in it. And then he was also pretty gosh darn honest about uh, some of the material that was being put out there and, you know, even his own effort. Uh, yeah. So um, that was, you're right. Very refreshing. Um, all right. Well, what's next uh, next episode, we're going to go, as Bob likes to say, in the Wayback Machine, and we're going to go to the 60s, Bob. Ooh, oh, all right. Yeah. All right. So Groovy. we're going we're gonna to go back to uh, Tales of Suspense. You know, there's this upcoming Captain America Iron Man miniseries coming out. Um, so let's go back to the Captain America Iron Man uh, 
uh, series, Tales of Suspense from the 60s. So we'll, uh, we'll, we'll do that on our next episode. But I, I, am, I, am I reading this right, Rick? You're keeping the listeners in suspense? <laughs> oh oh which story right yeah interesting. i'm not saying right interesting. now interesting interesting yeah okay Keep yeah guessing. that's true all right bob i had a lot of fun wrapping cap with you okay hey let's do this again sometime sometime we will <laughs> next week all right <laughs> All right, he's Bob Lucius, and I'm Rick Verbonis, and you've been listening to another episode of the Captain America Comic Book Fans Podcast.